0: That's 800 871 9417. Terms and conditions apply. Financing is available with approved credit. See openroadlending.com for details.
1: You guys, it's Rick Tittle.
2: Alrighty then, thank you for that, and welcome to another live edition of Titillating Sports with Rick Tittle. I am your humble host, Rick Tittle, coming to you from the downtown San Francisco studios of the Sports Byline USA Broadcast Network. Everything's still wonky in here. I don't even know what mic I'm on anymore. I kind of do. But we're here for you, uh, and we're here for your participation if you see fit. To call up the uh, toll-free line at 1-800-878-PLAY. Once again, 1-800-878-7529. Get you in and get you heard. Wherever you might happen to be listening in this great land of ours, or let's face it, so-so foreign lands, 1-800-878-PLAY. Football, basketball, baseball, hockey, soccer, golf, tennis, auto racing, boxing, Olympics, Quidditch, rollerball, chess checkers, rugby, cricket, that type of stuff and uh, we'll do it together one 800 a play Big shout out to our brave men and women listening both home and abroad on the American Forces Radio Network. Great to have you with us wherever you might happen to be. Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, Coast Guard, National Guard, Space Force, Delta Force doing a great job. We're also coming to you through CRN Digital Plus 2 that is the American, or I should say, American Forces Radio Network, I did that one. That should be uh, Cable Radio Network Channel 2. Great to have you there on our TV set. Today we have uh, podcaster Joe Pardovila. He has a new book. I also have a couple of comedians, Joe Mandy and Kevin James Thornton. Also author Spencer Schneider for his book Manhattan Cult Story. We'll check in with Karen Lyle in about a half hour from SalesSportTalk.com. She's down in the Virgin Islands. American or British? British. We'll talk to her as well. The Twitter is at Rick Tittle. Tittle Ending Sports with Rick Tittle is the Facebook page. Tune in app, iHeartRadio app, Stitcher app. No Twitch. I just have to power it down in an hour. Come on back.
3: This is your captain speaking. You better buckle your seatbelts for this one. I noticed my passport was due to expire, so I went to Staples. I got a passport photo in 10 minutes, so we're good to go.
4: Now at Staples, get 20% off travel products when you purchase a passport photo. Get travel ready at Staples, your one-stop travel prep destination.
3: Hey, let me tell you about another time that Staples saved my caboose. That all started back. N-731,
4: in-store only, excludes Instacart orders. certain products, services, and technology. See staplesconnect.com services slash travel for details.
0: Right now,
6: you deserve the network more people rely
0: on. That's why we're introducing Welcome Unlimited
6: for just $30 a line per month for four lines with auto pay plus taxes and fees. Our best priced unlimited plan ever. Did he say $30? Yep, $30 a line for the whole family. The network you want, the price you love. Switch to Verizon today. Paper-free billing required. Unlimited 5G nationwide 4G LTE. In times of congestion, your data may be temporarily slower than other traffic. All smartphone lines on the account must be on Welcome Unlimited and are eligible only for select promotions. Includes domestic talk, text, and data usage only. Data roaming at 2G speeds.
2: All right, thank you for that, and welcome back to the show. Rick Tittle with you, 1-800-878-PLAY, 1-800-878-7529, get in and get heard, wherever you might happen to be listening, and this great land of ours, and, um, well, the so-so foreign lands, they can just take a seat, take a big, fat seat. Coming up in the next segment, we will have <clears throat> Joe Partavilla for a book, Good Listen, Good A good, good listen. Yes. That's how he pronounces it, by the way. He's kind of weird. He says good listen. Um, Starting off with some golf news as everybody is at St. Andrews seeing to, uh, can lift the claret jug. And uh, claret, for those of you who don't know, is what we would say maroon in America, over there they say claret, and um, that's what they call uh, red wine. So a claret jug, a jug, a claret jug is basically a, a red wine jug. But that's the trophy there. And I mean, you just think about if you're a golf nut. It, does it get better than the 150th Open Championship at St. Andrews, the home of golf, where it was invented? It's funny. Over the years, they say, "Yeah, the game was actually called Cough," and then it was called Golf, but then now somebody else called it Gilf, a grandma I'd like to know, and then somebody else started calling it Glyph. There are all sorts of <laughs> rumors as to the invention of golf. But we can all agree that it was those manky Scots gits that uh, did it up there in Scotland. Remember, in Scottish, you're not a girl, you're a ghettle G-E-D-D-L-E. I promise to be a good gettle.
7: I was a good ghettle Anyway. Do you like a boy or a ghettle
2: So this is a year in which golf has changed forever. Hasn't it? I mean, historically, on completely different terms, as the old course has seen Tiger Woods complete the career grand slam and Jack Nicklaus and Tom Watson, they ended their careers here. Um, You think about the players that have lifted the Claret Jug, you know, as I mentioned, Woods, Nicklaus, everybody, Steros, Nick Faldo. How about John Daly? Oh, he lifted it. And so um, while Colin Morikawa proved last year at Royal St. George's that past successes are not a prerequisite to win, hot on his heels were Jordan Spieth and Louis Oosthausen, themselves a pair of former Open champions. But if you look through the field, who's favored, and who's not, and what's interesting is the overwhelming favorite at all the bookies now is Rory McIlroy from across the Irish Sea because he has played four straight weeks, and then he took time away, and uh, this is time for him to bring it home. Remember, he was unable to defend his 2014 title at St. Andrews because he ruptured a ligament in his left ankle, playing soccer or as he said a kickabout with his friends. So as I mentioned, you know, he's an Ulsterman too, which is Northern Ireland. It's just right across the water, Or we would say Water. Just pinch your nose if you want to sound more American. So the water, is same Water. So he's the odds-on favorite. And then after him, just looking at some of the faves, Scotty Scheffler. You know, he was one of the many premier players who didn't even make the cut at the Scottish Open. But, um, you know, he finished inside the top ten in his Open debut last year at Royal St. Andrews. Sorry, Royal St. George's. So, and he's still the world number one. I guess it can't be held against him. But if Scotty Scheffler wins the Open at St. Andrews, he will have won. 5 times on the PGA Tour this year including the Masters and the Open. The only other golfers that have done that are Ben Hogan in 1953, Arnold Palmer in 62, Tom Watson in 77 and Tiger 2005. But looking at some of the other favorites, the European, the Spaniard, Jose Ram, or I should say, not Jose. John Ram and he fell off the pace over the weekend at the Renaissance Club. But Rom is a pretty sure thing when it comes to being in that last five. He was in the last group in the final round at the U.S. Open. Remember, he was the number one in the world briefly. He uh, tied for third last year at Royal St. George's. And a lot of people looking at him. Xander Schofala is the fourth favorite. And he sprinted into his Masters victory and maybe Schofelet could do the same at the Open. And um, winning the Travelers and the Scottish Open in his last two starts. You know, won three times this season. You know, he was always one of those guys that, you know, can't finish. He's been finishing. And his first close call came at uh, Carnoustie. Which to me is the nastiest one. That's where those berms are four and a half feet high, and then what are you supposed to do except hit it backwards towards the tee? <laughs> but uh, Carnoustie was 2018. He finished tied for second, and then I mentioned Jordan Spieth, who won in 2017. And this weekend at the Scottish Open, the the last 36 holes, he had hole out eagles, clutch par saves, ridiculous short game wizardry. And then some real head-scratching moments, which is kind of like Spieth. Like, what what is he doing? So despite the emotional toll of following Spieth as a fan, a lot of people say he's the best Lynx player in the world. This will be his ninth British Open. In the previous eight, he won at Royal Birkdale. He was a runner-up at Royal St. George's. He was tied for fourth at St. Andrew's. And was top 10 at Carnoustie. He stepped into St. Andrews seven years ago in possession of the Masters and the U.S. Open. And came very close to lifting that Claret jug. And um, he was in the lead on the 70th hole. So that's how Vegas sees the top five. And by the way, if you're into stats, if you like this, most strokes gained total per round. Seaside quarters, Courses in the British Isles since 2015. Jordan Spieth is number one in the world. Then Brooks Kepka, then Xander Schofala, then Tony Finau, and then Zach Johnson. Rounding out the top ten is Matt Fitzpatrick, of course, who won the uh, U.S. Open. Did you already forget about that? Justin Thomas at seven, and uh, PGA Championship victory. Patrick Cantlay, the big game hunter. Will Zalatoris, <clears throat> and you could argue he's in the same position as Morikawa was uh, last season, and then uh, ten would be DJ Dustin Johnson. Now, once again, going back to that stat of most strokes gained per total round since the majors, that's all courses since 2020. Will Zalatoris is actually number one in the world. Then Scotty Scheffler, then John Rahm, then Colin Morikawa. Then we get to Dustin Johnson. So get ready to plop down your cash if you want to do it. You want to go for a long shot? Brooks Kepka is 20th right now if you want to throw a little money at the, that clown. All right, when we come back, we will talk to radio podcast figure Joe Partavilla about his new book.
0: Call New American Funding now and see how much cash out you can get. Call 800-209-6124. 800-209-6124. 800-209-6124. That's 800-209-6124. NMLS 6606, www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org This is not an offer or commitment to lend. Subject to borrower and property qualifications. Not all borrowers will qualify. Terms and conditions apply. Equal housing opportunity.
10: I'm so disgusted by Rick Tittle that I find him very intoxicating.
2: (laughs) All right, whatever works. Welcome back to the show. Rick Tittle with you, nationally syndicated out of San Francisco and around the world on the American Forces Radio Network. It's our pleasure to welcome to the show author Joe Partavilla, and he is here to talk about his uh, new book, which is called Good Listen, Creating Memorable Conversations in Business and Life. Joe, uh, everybody, well, first of all, welcome to the show. Everybody wants to be a a podcaster these days, but it's easier said than done. Is this kind of what this book is? It kind of takes you through some of those early steps?
11: Thanks for having me. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, the thing, the old joke is, you know, the old uh, meme was the podcast is the lower back tattoo of the 90s. Everyone has one now. Uh, and I always joke, and even maybe the folks that I work for don't like when I say it's Like, anybody could do a podcast. You know, it's so easy. It's got such a low barrier of entry. But there are skills and sort of tricks that I learned during my terrestrial radio career. That are applicable not only to a podcaster, but someone you know who just wants more tips and information on how to communicate better with people. So it's a it's a one stop, you know, one 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 stop shop of information in terms of how to communicate, whether you're doing a podcast or just in life in general.
2: What about taking it from a hobby, as most of these are, then wait, maybe I can get some sponsors, maybe I can make some money and make this a business.
11: Yeah. I mean I get that question a lot, Rick, and I think the big Uh, Answer that I always say to it is it's a marathon, not a sprint.
2: Mm -hmm.
6: So
11: if you are going to be frustrated by having 10 downloads of your first episode and 50 downloads of your 100th episode, then it's probably not for you to pursue it as a career more than, you know, as more than a side hustle. Uh, I mean, even the Joe Rogans of the world and the Mark Marans of the world did not reach the pinnacle of podcasting until many, many years into their podcasting careers. So if you choose to make it as part of your life's mission to be your thing and to do it uh, for money, <laughs> for lack of a better word, you just got to put a, a – re- it's really more about time commitment over – and you have to be in it for the long haul. Uh, unfortunately, there is no magic bullet. Even celebrities who decide to do podcasts don't get instant uh, audience, even though they come in with a built-in a group of people that follow them. It's, it, it really is something that you have to collect – a lot of audio over your career. And then all of a sudden you have a library that folks can then go back and listen to over time. But it's really just, um, unfortunately, it's, it's not the best answer to get to folks when they ask that, but it really is a marathon, not a sprint.
2: Well, you think about thinking on your feet, something that you learned with uh, UCB uh, improv, and how has that held you in good stead?
11: Absolutely. So one of the, the sort of the uh, mantras of, of long-form improvisation is yes and. And it's all about taking information, agreeing with it, and adding to it. But a big part of improv is listening. And what I always say, and many people agree with this, the best interviewers on the planet are the best listeners. And sometimes we don't even know, like we think we listen, but we really don't. And one of the skills that you really hone uh, doing long, long-form improv that I learned at UCB in New York City was that listening is such a big part of not only improv, but life and doing podcasts and conversations. Because the thing is with podcasting and doing any kind of interviews, you've got to really listen to what the person's giving you. Because if you have sort of a preset plan on what you're going to talk about and have mapped out the entire conversation from A to Z, there's really no fun in that. And so to be able to explore and get deeper into conversations, you have to have that listen piece because otherwise – it's just question, answer, question, answer. And basically a bot can do that nowadays. And there's no reason to do it like that. It's really about listening and creating a conversation.
2: No, I couldn't agree more. And and so many times, you know, when when, uh, young broadcasters will have a list of 20 questions and just go, like, no, listen, they might take you somewhere else. And that's the key, too, is it's not an interrogation. It is a conversation. Just as you converse with someone else, sometimes you have no idea which way it's going to go. But if they say something interesting, you just can't let that die on the vine. Like, wait, what does that mean? Tell us a little bit more about that.
11: Absolutely. It's funny you said about the 20-question thing. One of the things I coach with people, too, is, Never number your questions because there's <laughs> some sort of mathematical thing in your brain that tells you, oh, I can only work in this way Ill- logically. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. But the problem with doing that is, is that sometimes the question number one's answer will probably fit better with question number seven. But you're so bogged down in your brain about, oh, I got to go in order of all my questions that you'll miss an incredible opportunity to circle back to that question because you're so focused on going in a particular order
2: can you tell us by the way we're with joe part and the new book is called good listen could you give us a little uh, thumbnail on a, an interview that went right as in jennifer aniston and then maybe the one that wasn't so good with taylor swift
11: oof you really want to talk about that all huh, right come, come in let's Coming in hot and hard. hot oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> so the Jennifer Aniston one was, is really one of the lessons I like to teach, and it's about being fearless in a conversation, and, and especially doing a podcast. You can't be afraid to ask the right questions. You can't be a pr- uh, afraid to approach someone for a podcast. I mean, I get asked all the time, hey, could, is, is it okay if we ask this person who, you know, Elon Musk, name, name your, your, your headliner star, is, you know, can we ask this person to be on a podcast? I'm like, yes. The worst thing anyone could ever tell you is no. So for the Jennifer Aniston situation, I was working with Scott and Todd in the morning, and we had gotten a tip-off that Jennifer was filming a movie across the street from our studios in Midtown Manhattan. And this was at the height of her friend's fame. Mm-hmm. So Scott and Todd said, hey, why don't you go down there and interview her? And me being this naive young broadcaster, I was like, sure, let me give that a rip. So I go down, and she has very little you know, security around the trailer. Just one gentleman, very large gentleman, standing outside the trailer. So I was like, eh, it's just one guy. I could probably get around him, ask a question, so on and so forth. So I go and approach, and the guy's like, "No, you stop where you're going." I'm like, "No, no, it's okay. It's, it's really just like it's, like I was so naive. I was like, I didn't even think about the fact that like the, one of the biggest stars on the planet was on the other side of like this six inch door, and the security guard was not having any of it. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, Jennifer hears this commotion, opens the door crack, and I see her, and it was like the first time I had seen Jennifer Aniston in person in my life, and it was like. When you, or whenever you've seen someone on television for so many years and you see them in real life, it's like there's just like this weird out-of-body experience. I'm like, wait, am I in an episode of Friends? What's happening here? <laughs> and she's like, oh, uh, excuse me, is there something wrong out here? I'm like, oh, no, Jennifer, it's just, you know, I work for WPLJ Radio. We're across the street. We would love to interview you, talk to you about Friends, talk about the movie you're filming. she's well, I'm sorry, I, I, I can't do it right now, but, you know, maybe some other time. So I ran up to the radio station, you know, tail Between My Legs. I'm like, ah, listen, guys, I'm sorry. Uh, I tried my best. I was, you know, basically was threatened with bodily harm, but I did whatever I could to get the interview. 5 minutes later, our receptionist calls the studio and says, "Hey, listen, Jennifer Aniston's assistant is on the phone. She feels bad for what happened with your uh, intern. Would you mind if she just called into the station right now?" And lo and behold, Jennifer Aniston went on the air with us live for like 20 minutes talking about her career, her dad, mm. her, her her new movie that was coming out, and it was all because I felt like I had to do whatever it took to get that interview, so mm-hmm. that was a happy one. And and but unfortunately, the, the Taylor Swift one you you brought up was is kind of a kind of a sore spot for me. And hopefully, uh, when once this story comes out with the book, she doesn't uh, feel inclined to write a, write a song <laughs> about me. But what happened with that one was, and this is a lesson I learned. That and the and the thing, Rick, with the book is I wanted to t- tell these stories in sort of like almost like a fabulistic kind of thing where it's like, here's a lesson you can learn from it. And so for the Taylor Swift one was, I had really become sort of cocky in terms of like what I could get out of interviews. And at the time, we started video recording all of our our celebrity interviews so we could post on our website. But for some reason, Taylor Swift's team was, um, I guess, not fond of having no control of her content. So they came up with this rule, which... Seemed very arbitrary and random that we could only video the first five minutes of an interview. Which, Rick, I'm sure, to use like, how does that make any sense? Like, and and when they first told us this, I was like, oh, so you mean like we can only post five minutes of the interview? That's cool. So yeah, like, "No, no, no, no. After five minutes, that's it. So I was all full of myself and feeling super cocky. And so the publicist comes in, makes a beeline to our videographer, taps him on the shoulder, and says, "Hey, listen." Just a reminder, I'm going to just give you a little quick little poke, and at that point, stop recording. And me not being able to pass up a, uh, an opportunity to be a jerk. By the I way, not to not the, to me be
2: a jerk. I have one minute, so go yeah, for no, it. I'll, yeah, i
11: wrap it up. So, uh, so I go to the publicist. I'm like, hey, listen, do you, uh, if we have a follow-up question, can we keep recording? And she's like, cool, yeah, fine, whatever. Then I say, well, what if there's a follow-up question to that other follow-up question? And she's like, uh, yeah, 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 sure, whatever. And then I go... Can I ask, what if we have a follow-up question to that follow-up question to that follow-up question? At that point, Taylor Swift is in the room, and she goes, well, somebody woke up pretty saucy this morning. And then the rest of the interview, she was totally on guard not open because I was such a jerk mm. and I learned and one of the things I tell people make people feel as comfortable as possible in an interview you want them to be so comfortable like they're guests at your house and they'll go to your refrigerator and take your last soda without asking that's <laughs> the important thing about creating an environment for a great conversation
2: alright there he is Joe Partavia, and that's why I said he's a pro he knew to wrap it up the new book <laughs> Good Listen Creating Memorable Conversations in Business and Life Joe, congratulations on the book. Thanks for stopping by, man.
11: Thank you very much for the time, man. Good luck. God bless.
2: All right. I'm Rick Tittle. We'll take a quick break. On the other side, Karen Lyle with SalesportTalk.com.
12: This is Karen Lyle of Salesforce Talk and I am sitting on a catamaran on a mooring with my good friend Captain Nelson Booth and Nelson has been out here for the last 10 years living in the BVI and working as a captain and Nelson how are you doing today?
13: Very well thank you.
12: Tell me a little bit about where you started your sailing.
13: I grew up in Texas in Fort Worth and there's a Fort Worth boat club on Eagle Mountain Lake it was my home waters when I was a kid, learned how to sail there. And we actually had a Catalina 27 on the lake there for many years that we raced on the weekends. And my summer vacations were always down here in the Caribbean somewhere sailing with my folks. And that just became something we did every year until I decided to make a move down here permanently.
12: Well, and you actually bought a charter company. Tell us about that.
13: Yeah, kind of a funny story there. The vacations led to being more interested in sailing, and so my family bought a charter boat back in 2000, and it was with a big company that doesn't exist anymore for a while. And after that, we moved to a little charter company called Bearcat Charters. With uh, It was a mom-and-pop store in BVI, and the boat was with them for um, about 10 years. And they were ready to move on and retire and go to do other things, and wanted to sell the business. And after a time, they decided that it was better for them to just move on and do their own thing. And they were gonna sell the business off piecemeal. And so I decided that I'd make them an offer. And next thing I knew, I was headed down to the Caribbean, whether I was ready for it or not.
12: Well, and then Hurricane Irma came along. Tell us us what that was like being in that experience.
13: Well, that was five years into me being here. And we thought we were prepared for Irma we had five days of warning i put all the boats away packed the shop away had food water generator provisions extra gasoline you name it all ready, put away at my friend's place uh, in cane garden bay here in Tortola that i was going to stay with and we figured we were as well prepared as we could be and it turned out nobody was prepared for that one 10 o'clock in the morning 10 30 or so An hour and a half after the storm started, the roof disappeared off of their apartment. So we spent the next couple hours in the bathroom with mattresses pushed up against the walls. Girls and the dogs in the bathtub with a mattress over them and just waited for the eye to come so we could get out of there. And we spent the second half in the Cane Garden Bay Police Station, which is the happiest I've ever been to be in a jail.
12: Thank you so much, Nelson Booth. I appreciate having an opportunity to be with you here in the British Virgin Islands.
13: Thanks so much.
2: All right, thank you for that. You just heard a pre-recorded interview with uh, Karen Lyle from SalesportTalk.com in the British Virgin Islands. Uh, Let's do it live. As uh, Karen joins us now, and Karen, last we heard from you, you were heading down there to get on a catamaran, so give us an update, please.
12: Well, today we left Virgin Gorda and went on a downwind sail for about four hours. Just beautiful weather. It was about 10 to 15 knots. We were sailing downwind, jib um, know, maybe 1 to 2 foot 12. Just a gorgeous, sunny day.
2: And uh, tell us about the sights and sounds, please.
12: Well, right now, we just hooked the mooring ball. And as I mentioned before, they have, um, we don't actually go into to uh, marinas or anything, anything out here in the BVI. They have these little uh, mooring balls that are anchored to the bottom of the, of the um, either, you know, they're, they're anchored and they have a ball that, that that attaches at the top, and then you hook your boat onto it, and so all these boats are hanging at the end of one, and we're in a place called Trellis Bay, which is on Beef Island off the main island of, of uh, Portola, and, uh, you know, it's just pretty soon, we're probably going to hop in the water, and get off the boat, and, go to the, and um, the, the reefs are just very difficult, staring back, so had the
2: hurricane Irma back in two thousand
12: seventeen. Hello? Yes, can you hear me?
2: Now I can. You you faded off like you went into Davy Jones locker there for a second. So oh,
12: Where did you, where did you lose me?
2: You said well we're going to Tortola and blah, 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 blah.
12: Oh, okay, okay. So sorry about that I'm on a boat. <laughs> <laughs> no, I said I said just jump off the back of the boat and go um, snorkeling from here, and that the the snorkeling is just really excellent. We have a lot of beautiful different types of reef fish, and the coral, which was really decimated when Hurricane Irma came through, has been growing back. So you can see how much has grown for the over the last five years since the hurricane, and uh, of course, the the best thing out here. Is um, after you've been sailing and you've snorkeled a bit, is having a nice painkiller, which is a wonderful tropical drink. It is two parts pineapple juice, one part orange juice, um, uh, two, two two shots of rum, and some nutmeg on the top over a nice uh, tall glass of ice.
2: That sounds lovely. Now let me ask you this, Karen, because I remember my um, grandmother went on a Caribbean cruise, and whenever the cruise pulled up. A lot of the uh, indigenous people down there, and some of it is almost third world, they would set upon the people with money and try to sell them trinkets and wares and bric-a-brac and homemade things because that was their way of making money off the quote-unquote rich people that pulled up. So it, do you get that too when you come into to shore that you are a lot of local um, people trying to sell you wares, or are you sort of acclimated into the, the natives there?
12: Well, you know, it used to be that we would have maybe one or two boats come up and, you know, bring, you know, handmade crafts and things like that. Uh, I think that was up through, well, I don't think I've seen it since about 2017. Um, but definitely during COVID, we don't see that much. Now, when you hook a mooring ball, you used to have someone come by and say, hey, you owe us 30 bucks for the mooring ball. But now they have a, an app and you have to go on your phone and it's called Booty Ball and you reserve the the morning and pay for it online. So they've changed everything, so it's a lot more touchless. Um, you know, you have to you have to have a negative COVID test uh, within the last 48 hours even to get into the area for BBR.
2: So um, what are your destinations? Like where do you – I know it is a pleasure sale, but you're also – you know, you've got an itinerary of sorts. How is that?
12: Well, we started out in Tortola. And then we went across the way to the Bight in Norman Island, and there is um, three beautiful caves there that you can snorkel in. And it's, I'd say it's an intermediate in to advance, um, you know, snorkel. You're, you're swimming out over maybe, um, you know, um, 80 feet of water, and then you go into the caves, and, um, and you can see some just amazingly beautiful orange, blue, green, uh, coral and, and usually several schools of fish in the caves. And if you go between 3 and 5 in the afternoons when you go, the sunlight is just streaming in at an angle, so you can see the rays of light coming through the water, and it really illuminates the, the coral and everything. And so you just sail alongside the rocks, and, and you find the caves one after another. And at the very end, there's this cave that you can actually swim in and walk up on the rock, and there's this huge opening this um, you know opening it um, you know a hole it goes you can see the sky and there's some some like vines hanging down. It's just it's just absolutely gorgeous. And pull out your underwater camera, which I have and take some photographs of that and come back out and then go on a dinghy back to the boat. So that's the first day uh, out there on the on the boat. And then from there, um, in the evening there's a place called Willie Tees. And Willie Tees is kind of like you know if you can think 70s, <laughs> it's a little a little piece of time warp into the seventies, and they it's a bar that's on a boat and it's been here for just forever and and actually it was uh it was damaged the old one was damaged by the hurricane, but they they built a new one, and now it's back in the Bight, which is the um what they call the little enclave in Norman Island. And you go there, and you have a beer, and they have music, and you had several people there from Puerto Rico, because in, in, uh, in July, it's Christmas, and Ju- they call it Christmas in July, and a lot of people come up from Puerto Rico on their fishing boats, and um, there was some music and dancing, and then people will oftentimes just take off all their clothes and jump off the back of the boat on, on the, it's like two stories. You know, in, these, this, in this case, most everyone just in their bathing suits jumped off into the water below, it's kind of like a, a thing, you know, everybody daring each other to take this, this big jump into the water. And, and of course, it has just no jumping, which is, of course, the incentive for everyone to jump, because, of course, I'm sure the insurance says you're not supposed to jump. But people have been doing it since the 1970s.
2: And did you jump, Karen?
12: You know, I have taken pictures of people jumping. <laughs> I usually, by that time, have been doing so much snorkeling that I'm like, no, I'm, I'm good. I danced. Absolutely, I danced. So I danced with a, a bunch of twenty-somethings who were up there partying, and we had a good time uh, around the bar. Uh, then, then the next day, um, we took off to. Um, hey, Michael, where did we go after after Norman Island? It was Cooper Island, I think. It was Cooper Island. Okay, um, so we went to Cooper Island, and uh, that that's another beautiful spot. It has a, a nice little restaurant and bar ashore. So you take the dinghy and go look there, and also the snorkeling is, is quite, quite good in that area. And then from Cooper Island in another long sail, the next day, so it's kind of like get up, you have breakfast, you have your coffee or tea, you go sailing for two to three hours, hook a mooring ball, snorkel, have you know go to shore, see what's there and who's there, and then. Um, go to the next island the next day, you know, just kind of hang out uh, on the day on the boat. So um, that kind of repeats, and so the next place we went was Virgin Gorda, and and it's a pretty big, it's it's called the Virgin Gorda Sound, it's a pretty big area, and um, there are some, for those who are familiar with the British Virgin Islands, there's a a Bitter End uh, uh, yacht club that that was that completely decimated by Irma, and now it's back in full swing. And there's Saba Rock, where they they feed these fish called tarpon, and they're they're maybe about three, four feet long, and they come in swarms at five o'clock in the afternoon, and someone pulls out chum, and starts throwing uh, uh, to the fish, and and they all fight for it, and sometimes they'll they'll have like a a long piece of the belly of a fish and do a tiger war with one of the fish, and kind of show how strong they are
2: well i don't don't know if you're homesick or not, but right now it's fifty seven degrees and super foggy where we are
12: no, so actually i'm this is where I like to be in july and i I've been here in July for nine nine years with a break for for covid and that's that was just a and two and, year and we we way. should
2: we should stress that you're Karen Lyle, not Karen Bezos right
12: <laughs> well. Um, it wouldn't have do any good to have the name Bezos unless you had the money to go with it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, what's on the docket? I, I love the, the the life of the idle rich. We're all jealous. So, what's next for you?
12: Oh, well, I'm going to be here um, for for this particular trip. I'm doing two ten day stints. We have uh, two sets of guests, and so I'm here with um, Vlad and Tanya and, and our captain Michael uh, Arns, who's uh, being the boats that I've been on for, for all these nine years. Um, so I'm not sure where we're going to go next, but I would imagine that we're going to hit Joost van Dyke and go see Fox. Foxy's is a, is a great location, but uh, usually some nightlife there. Foxy's is an famous singer guitar player who built a, a restaurant here. And you, usually go in and you can see a. Uh, uh, you know, everybody's left their mark. There's stickers, there's signs from all different parts of the world, and you know, some, you know, girl left her panties up on the <laughs> on the on the ceiling. You know, there's all different kinds of things, you know, to to mark that place. And it's starting to get it's all 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 new memorabilia since since all the rest of it was blown away in seventeen.
2: So you cut out. You you said you left your panties there, huh?
12: Ah, uh, not me. <laughs> <laughs> I said.
2: <laughs> well, is theres there... I'm, is there
12: I'm, I'm more the observer than the doer in those days. I know, I'm
2: just kidding. Um, is there, with all those islands, is there a forbidden island, like a leprosy island or a radioactive island or a snake
12: island, anything like that? Well, there is a snake island, Ooh. there's a salt island, a beef island, and the saying is that uh, when when the pirates would come in, to this area because this was definitely an area for pirates to hang out in um, that they would go to Salt Island to get their salt and then go over to Beef Island and steal some cattle
2: and then they would go to Snake Island to get their snakes
12: yeah I think the snakes just kind of hang out there and it might, it might be a place you anchor but not not um, I think they have shotguns here but
2: <laughs> last question for you and what are you most looking forward to doing that you haven't done already down there
12: well, I have to say that every time you even leave a mooring ball and go sailing, it's always different. There's nothing exactly the same about sailing every time because the water and the wind combinations are always unique for that moment. Oh, I forgot to mention squalls. So we had a squall, and those are very interesting. Um, you know, when when a little white patch of air comes over your boat and all of a sudden you're immersed in water and churning uh. Um, Churning water and lots of rain. Um, we had a very small squall sailing, but I imagine that we're going to probably hit have one or two more that, that are happening. They're they're interested as long as they're they're not hurricane worth. And looks like we're free of hurricanes right now in the in the weather watch.
2: All right, knock on wood, smooth sailing for you, Karen. Have a great time, and we'll get your report next week. All right.
12: Okay, sounds great. Bye-bye, Rick. All
2: right, there she is gallivanting around the British Virgin Islands. Sounds pretty good to me. I'm Rick Tittle. Come on back.
10: I'm so disgusted by Rick Tittle that I find him very intoxicating.
2: <laughs> All right, for an hour, I'm going to move to a back studio. Nobody cares. Um has got an email. I'm not even going to say who it's from, but it's basically someone who's mad at Karen Lyle for being rich. Um, whoever said she was rich? But there's always there are always people who... <clears throat> You know, like if a stadium gets built. What about the libraries? What? What about hiring more cops? Well, that money was never going to go there. You know what I'm saying? Or like, don't you know there's a war in the Ukraine right now? How? It's like the people who say, um, you know, how how dare Jeff Bezos go to outer space? All the money he spent on that could have fed the, the guy gives untold money to charity, but it'll never be enough. And that's the cool thing, actually, about earning cash, is that if you do <laughs> want to take off and uh, fly into outer space, y- you can do that. <laughs> it's actually uh, okay. You know why? Because it's his money. People always want to spend somebody else's money, you know, they always want to be like, well, that that money, hum, hum, hum. okay, how about you, you know, you're going to go buy a, a new TV, or a motorcycle, or a refrigerator, well, you could have fed the poor with that, you know, you could have bought a smaller, there's just, I don't know, I just, I'll never understand the people who just, you know, they just live to they, you know, as they say, compare and despair. Your ego is not your amigo. I think that's what I'm trying to say. A stitch in time saves nine. No, wait, I wasn't trying to say that. But no, if you have earned your cash, you can spend it any which way you would like. That's the way it's supposed to work. All right, I'm Rick Tuttle. We got another two hours. Come on back on Sports byline.
13: USA Radio News with Lance Pride.
15: Giving us a better idea how inflation is going, the June Consumer Price Index will be released tomorrow morning. The ever-growing crisis at the southern border reaches new heights. A new Breitbart report showed Texas Border Patrol agents apprehended around 26,000 people in less than a week who crossed into border towns. President Biden will meet with Mexico's President Obrador today at the White House. Some lawmakers in Washington say nothing will be done to stop illegal immigrants or drugs pouring into the country. Republican Texas Governor Greg Abbott.
7: We do have uh, an invasion
8: driven by the cartels. We've turned back tens of thousands of migrants who try to get
15: across the border. Democrat Vice President Kamala Harris.
16: I um, would suggest that so-called leaders focus on solutions instead of attacks.
15: USA Radio News.
8: Finding great candidates to hire can be like, well,
15: was as unique as the breakfast tacos during a speech in San Antonio, Texas yesterday.
16: As distinct as the Bogodas of the Bronx, as beautiful as the blossoms of Miami, and as unique as the breakfast tacos here in San Antonio, <laughs> is your strength.
15: Making good on pandemic weddings, one location is doing just that. Lincoln Center gave 500 couples a do-over on their wedding Sunday evening. These are couples whose nuptials were derailed
8: or scaled back due to the pandemic. There was a multicultural ceremony as well as music,
15: dancing, and remarks from his honor, Mayor Eric Adams. For USA Radio News, I'm Kenneth Burns in New York. For more information, visit us online at usaradio.com. We are USA Radio News. Suspense. Shadow knows.
18: Mystery in the Air, starring Peter Laurie. I am the whistler, and I know many things, for I walk by night.
4: The greatest radio shows of all time, Classic Radio Theater with Wyatt Cox. On this radio station, or at our webpage, classicradio.stream. That's classicradio.stream. Or search your favorite podcast app.
15: SpaceX is in the middle of preparing its Starship rocket for its inaugural orbital launch. But an explosion of the super-heavy booster during tests at the company's facility in Boca Chica, Texas, yesterday, may represent a serious setback. The explosion rocked the entire launch pad. No word yet on the cause of the explosion or whether anyone was hurt. Flames and smoke could be seen around the launch pad an hour after the incident. As the Supreme Court of the United States judges are being threatened by suspected Democrat activists, the Biden administration and the Department of Justice, both being run by Democrats, are silent on the attempted murder and harassment claims. Representative James Comer, Republican from Kentucky, told Newsmax on Monday that Democrats are quietly hoping something would happen so they could get another liberal judge on the nation's highest court.
3: If something happens to us, if we resign or if we passed away in office, we're going to be replaced. I'm going to be replaced by a conservative from Kentucky, and she's going to be replaced by a liberal from New York. But if something happens to a conservative justice, then in, in the minds of someone who'd be attacking that conservative justice, we can replace that conservative justice with a liberal justice since Joe Biden's president and we have a Democrat majority in the Senate. So uh, this is something that every American should be concerned about. The safety of our Supreme Court, and I don't think the Biden administration is taking it seriously, and I don't think the, the leadership in Congress and either party is taking it seriously, and hopefully that will change.
15: Lance Pry, USA Radio News.
5: Do you have Medicare and do you use a CPAP machine? This is a national health care alert regarding your CPAP supplies. Using a clean CPAP mask and clean supplies is important to staying healthy.
2: All right, thank you for that, and welcome back to the show. Rick Tittle with you, coast-to-coast, border-to-border, and around the world on the American Forces Radio Network. Hey, what you got? Rick, that kind of surprised me. when I said, hey, what you got? What you got, what you get. We're all here to talk sports, aren't we not? I said, are we not? 1-800-878-PLAY is the number to call. one 800 878 7529 As uh, we, uh, (laughs) I always like uh, lashing out at uh, the people who say like, "Eh, rich people are spending money. I do the same thing. Like I said, it's very easy to say to uh, you know we were kind of doing it to um, Larry Ellison. We're like, can you just buy the Warriors? You got all the money. You know, somebody. Said, you know, I think it was Vince said, tell Elon Elon Musk to buy the A's, and I was like, hey, Elon Musk. People are like, no, not him. He doesn't treat his workers right. Oh no. So you prefer what we have now? A guy who doesn't care and who's trying to move the team? <laughs> the sanctimony. No. He's spoiled and he spends his money on, he wants to go to Mars. So you want to keep the the guy who's trying, who doesn't care at all and wants to move to Vegas. All right. Just make sure I get that squared away. All right. We also have uh, two more hours to go. <laughs> I'm in the back room with no cough button. Here, look. <coughs> yeah, that's right. Don't worry, Dominic has his mask on. And it's a, uh, it's an M249. Make sure to you know that. Droplets get in. Joe Mandy, the comedian, the actor, will join me next. Spencer Schneider, he'll join us. He's got a book about a sex cult. It says, Manhattan cult story. My unbelievable true story of sex crimes, chaos, and survival. will be the judge of that. Brad Powers in the third hour. And Kevin James Thornton in the third hour. <laughs> I'm Rick Tittle. Come on back.
0: That's 800-760-1845 Want to kill bugs like the pros do? Now you can with Maggie's Farm Created by pest control
5: professionals Maggie's Farm plant and mineral based products Provide amazingly effective insect control All of our plant based products are safe to use Around children and pets And won't leave behind a messy oily residue Maggie's Farm, lethal to bugs, easy on the planet. Now for a limited time, get a free box of our patented no-spill ant-kill bait stations with purchase at GreenBugKiller.com. That's GreenBugKiller.com.
7: Hour 2 of Titillating Sports. You thought it couldn't get any better, but it's better. Rick Tittle is back. He's so great. I can't believe how awesome he is. More sports talk, yes. Couldn't get any better, but it's better. Rick Tittle is back. He's so great. I can't believe how awesome he is. More sports talk, yes. Hour 2 of Titillating Sports. Hey! Check out Channel 9. Check out Rick
2: Tittle. All right, check me out. Thank you for that. Welcome back to the show. Rick Tittle with you, nationally Syndicate, out of San Francisco and around the world on the American Forces Radio Network. It's our pleasure to welcome to the show comedian and actor Joe Mandy, and he will be appearing tonight at Helium up there in Buffalo. Joe, welcome to the show. Is this like maybe one of the two or three months a year where, where Buffalo is – quite charming with the weather
9: um i will i will tell you when i get there i'm currently in the raleigh north carolina airport on my way to buffalo but i, I would imagine this is the time of year to go to buffalo
2: were you doing uh, good nights down there
9: i was yeah that was last night it was very fun
2: so um back on the road back at it but during the uh-huh. pandemic did you do the tiny cupboard in brooklyn the central park uh, zoom shows what'd you do
9: I luckily uh, also uh, write for TV, so that's all I did through the pandemic. So
7: mm-hmm.
9: I was lucky because, other than that, I don't think my stand-up would translate over Zoom. I, I avoided that whole thing.
2: <laughs> why is that? That your stand-up just—I mean, listen—I know anybody's stand-up doesn't really lend itself, but why? <laughs> <laughs> why? Why yours in particular?
9: Well, I think that a lot of. Um, my material is uncomfortable so like I let things sit and then the crowd sort of starts laughing just at the you know the uncomfortability but if you're by yourself watching on a computer then there's not that communal response I think it would just be a lot of people uh, uncomfortable by themselves in front of their laptops and um, I didn't want to be a part of that
2: yeah you need the instant feedback like for me if i ever try to be funny it could literally be years when i bump into somebody and they're like hey that thing you said was funny and i'm like "Uh, oh thanks but (laughs) but for you as a comedian you need it right now don't you
9: exactly yeah so uh i didn't i didn't want to feel that uh negative response over the internet i get enough of that just from like comments on instagram or whatever
2: now, as an actor, I mean, that's a completely different discipline. Nothing is more scary, of course, than doing stand-up. But did you take to acting like a fish to water, or did you have to do a lot of classes first?
9: No, never taken a class. I mean, I've only gotten, primarily I've got gotten roles on shows that I was a writer for. So mm-hmm. I feel like I'm very capable in my narrow lane as an actor because I, I have no problem delivering lines. Um the way I talk. <laughs> I, I, I'm i lucky I keep getting booked on things, but like I I, I have no uh, range as an actor whatsoever.
2: So do you, I, I know you, I'm just looking at your Wikipedia page that you went to the Twin Cities when you were 10, but growing up in, yeah. the, in the land of enchantment, how much is Albuquerque still like in your skin?
9: Uh, I mean, I feel like I am still like a New Mexican in heart like whenever i'm in albuquerque i feel like i'm home you mm-hmm. know uh I, I, to me it's still the best uh cuisine in the world and uh yeah i mean i love i love new mexico more pretty much more than any other place
2: i would imagine too like you know in the bay area we get good mexican food and i think about how good it is in san diego but and in Texas but i keep hearing that new mexico has the best mexican food would you concur
9: yeah well it's it's uh i mean look the the burritos in san francisco are very special but new mexican cuisine is just like it's very limited like there's there's only uh so many ingredients so uh they uh they just you know they they excel at those few things
2: now I have some buddies by the way we're speaking with Joe Mandy at Helium Buffalo tonight. Um I had some buddies that went to Emerson College like you and they told me about mm-hmm. I think it's in Holland, you have your own castle and everybody goes for some <laughs> did you go to the private castle in Holland?
9: I I did not go to the castle. I figured I can I can do drugs in, <laughs> in Boston and <laughs> not have to spend all that money. <laughs>
2: Um, and then working with Aziz on on uh, Master of uh, None, that first season was uh, so, so magical. I mean, how cool is that to actually bring something new Is everything is so copycat? That must have been a lot of fun. Yeah,
9: that was fun. I've been lucky. I've been able to, that was the first show that I wrote on that was like um, starting from scratch. That is special. And then I worked on The Good Place the entire run from beginning to end, which was awesome. And. And now I, uh, you know, write and act on Hacks, and it's the same thing, like, been there from the start. And Hacks is very special to me specifically because it also, you know, it's about stand-up comedy, so I can bring a certain level of uh, expertise to the show as a writer.
2: I had Lorraine Newman on again the other day, You know, Hannah Einbinder's mom. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I mean, she is just a natural, isn't she?
9: Oh yeah, for sure, and so is Hannah. Like uh, very talented family. Yeah,
2: that's who I met, Hannah. But yeah, I mean she. Oh just yeah, Lorraine Newman too. Just She's an up and comer for sure. <laughs> and you're in with like the the. Are you? I know you worked on the Kroll show. Are you sort of in with that whole league group? Uh yeah,
9: I mean I'm. I, I sort of started with Kroll um in New York and I'm I'm Francis Manzucas. Uh yeah, so I used to open for a Kroll when the league was still going on and it was it was very funny, just like um uh, how often he was recognized by like football dudes <laughs> just like walking down the street. Just <laughs> it was a, a very specific kind of guy who's like a league fan who feels compelled to, you know. Stop, uh, crawl on the street for the photo. It was hilarious.
2: Yeah, I think about those guys, um, and Ran Azizi, who's been in here with, I think he's coming in here in studio with me again on, uh, uh on Friday. Um, uh, it, it is funny when you have something that we like to say cult classic, but that show really was, wasn't it?
9: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, and like for me, um, I was, uh, on a bunch of episodes of Modern Family, and mm-hmm. that was just specifically very funny because, like, none of my friends really, like, knew or cared, to be honest, but, like, anytime I, like, go through airport security, like, the TSA agent will, like, look at my ID and stop for a second. So it's a it's a very popular show for um, TSA agents specifically.
2: Yeah, and I would say, too, not to jinx you, but you most of the things you've been in, are really good and, and and a lot of people have you know they have to work their way into it. Would you say you're pretty lucky or are you just like the king and whatever you touch turns to gold, Midas?
9: Um, no, lucky. Don't deserve it. Uh, waiting <laughs> for the other shoot a drop. Absolutely. You have
2: imposter syndrome.
9: Uh, just a, a critical case. Yeah, I took medicine for it.
2: So, uh, anything else in the, I mean, you know, as you mentioned, Hacks doing well. Anything else in the can or down the pike for you?
9: Uh, I mean, I've always got things sort of simmering development-wise. But, you know, you never know when things are going to get made. But I uh, just found out today, actually, that we're going to be starting season three of Hacks very soon. So, I'll be back in the writer's room for that. And, you know, I'm I'm touring the East Coast this week and got more stand-up dates. Uh, upcoming. So, yeah, I'm a busy man between all the hack stuff and stand-up. It's been very fun.
2: And I love it, too. You're in the writer's room, and you go, who can play this little sassy dude? And you're like, I got it.
9: (laughs) Yeah, no, I I promise you, I I have never once um, pitched myself for anything. So, (laughs) that's the The higher-ups
2: decide that. There he is, the very humble Joe Mandy. Check him out at Helium Buffalo tonight, heliumcomedy.com. Get your tickets. Hey, Joe, thanks for coming on. If you're ever in San Francisco, come Uh, in in the studio.
9: All right, yeah. I mean, I was just there. I wish I I had known. But, yeah, next time. All right,
2: good stuff. I'm Rick Tittle. We missed him. We'll have to get him on the other side. Come on back on Byline.
16: and now you can't afford your mortgage payment? Or do you have a rental property and your tenants aren't paying you? We can come to the rescue and pay you cash for your home immediately. Yes, sell your home and get cash all over the phone without dealing with real estate agents or having to waste time showing your home to lukewarm buyers. You don't need to lose your house to foreclosure. If you have equity in your home, we'll buy your home and give you cash within days, all in a simple over the phone and virtual process. Call now before your situation gets worse. Sell a home you can't afford or just need anymore and get the cash you need today. Call this number now.
0: 800 950 8218. 800 950 8218. 800 950 8218. That's 800 950 8218. Paid for by Want to Sell
10: I wish you would try and slap Rick Tittle's mama's face. He would clown you.
2: Well, well, well. What do you think about that? What do you mean? I don't know. one 800 a play Author Spencer Schneider. i got to say it like that.
7: Spencer Schneider.
2: He'll join us to talk about his Manhattan cult story. That's the name of his book. And he says there's a lot of crimes, survival, sex, and chaos What was the sex? I made out with a girl on the subway. Okay. You know me, I'm always about tales of ribaldry. That's what I'm going after. Um, 1-800-878-PLAY. This is a little bit more serious, but uh, I'm someone who loves uh, English soccer, one team in particular, and um, my favorite team... Tottenham Hotspur is going to, uh, they're actually in South Korea right now, and uh, they will be playing the K League All Stars tomorrow morning at 4 a.m. my time. I think I'm probably going to try and tape that one. But, suffice to say, I'm very much up on the news when it comes to soccer, and then, uh, you know, then. I see about, you know, right now they don't have a prime minister, more or less, Uh, also uh, seeing, um, you know, just other news as it comes through. But I saw something that was in all the red toppers or the tabloids and the main papers as well. And now it is so big, it's become a story in America as well. And that is the Olympic... Running legend Mo Farah reveals that he was trafficked to the United Kingdom when he was a kid, and his name is actually Hussein Abdi Kahin. Kahin, Sorry, Hussein Abdi Kahin. It's an incredible story. And as I mentioned, this guy is a long distance. Uh, an Olympic champion, and when you're in such a parochial small place like the UK, I have found, I always say England's like a giant Idaho, meaning that if you're from Idaho, you know everyone else from Idaho. It's kind of like me with St. Mary's College athletes. Tom Candiotti, woo-hoo. <clears throat> Vaughn Hayes, you know, I'll throw it out there. Squorman Herman Wiedemeyer, and a couple of National League All-Stars. Maybe back-to-back size for your Galloping Gales. We'll see. But he's a huge—I've known the name for years because if you win a gold medal for the United Kingdom, you're going to be famous. Well, he revealed uh, on Monday that as a kid, he was trafficked from Somalia to the UK and was forced into servitude by a London family. And he told the BBC, quote, most people know me as Mo Fera, but that is not my name. It's not my reality. The real story, I was born in Somaliland, north of Somalia, as Hussein Abdi Kahin, unquote. And he revealed this information in a documentary that is airing today in the UK, but it got leaked. Now, this guy has won not just one LeBron, not two, not three, four gold medals for Great Britain. And he said he was trafficked with his parents. Now, just because you always think trafficking, you think that people are turned into sex slaves. There are other ways of trafficking. He was trafficked with his parents, but his parents never lived in the UK and that his father had to go back and fight in the Civil War in Somali and was killed when he was four years old. So then his mother and his two brothers went back to Somali. And uh, by the way, Somaliland, they have a self-declared state on Africa's eastern coast. And uh, looking for UN recognition as a sovereign state. And then taken back home. And then he said when he was eight years old, He was transported to the United Kingdom again by what he called a strange woman who informed him that he would be staying with relatives. And at that time, he was given his fake name of Mo Farah and fake travel documents too. He went to school in England, and at the age of 12, one of his professors labeled him as emotionally and culturally alienated. And so, it's hard to imagine why. (laughs) But that's, he said, he, he took up running, which he said saved his life. It was just something he could do by himself. And eventually, a Somali family living in England took him in as a foster family. So the identity of the woman that trafficked him back to the Great Britain is not known. And... We don't even know what type of punishment she would have if they did find her. But throughout his track and field career, Farah has, of course, blossomed in one of the most accomplished long-distance runners um, competing for GB in the 2012 and 2016 Olympics. Both of those Olympics, he won the 5,000 and 10,000 meters, and he was even knighted by Queen Elizabeth in 2017. <clears throat> and that goes beyond OBE and CBE, and that goes beyond just being a sir. You are now a lord. So he's actually Lo- Lord Mo Farah, and uh, a knight of the realm. So it's, uh, it's an extraordinary so- uh, story of triumph and perseverance um, but it's also something that, um, as I was saying, this isn't limited now uh, to just England. And you think about the uh, people who, uh, of course, uh, were not uh, successful like this. 1-800-878-PLAY. Pivoting back to Gotham a little bit as we go north of Hadrian's Wall to Scotland. Tiger Woods, of course, is the one voice that has been somewhat absent from the daily pro-PGA Tour live-golf fight conversation, even though he is the most important voice in golf. Well, yesterday in England, ahead of the championship, he gave his longest and strongest rejection of the Saudi Arabian Greg Norman League. And interestingly, his rationale was not focused on the PGA Tour, which, of course, he's been there over a quarter of a century, but just the majors. Because currently, live golf events do not receive official World Golf ranking points, which will make it extremely difficult for their players to play in future majors. So as a result, this will be the last open forever for Sergio Garcia, Ian Poulter, Lee Westwood, and all that. So Woods said, quote, I disagree with players going to live, I think, that what they've done is they've turned their backs on what has allowed them to get to this position. Some players have never got a chance to even experience it. They've gone right from the amateur ranks right into that organization and never really got a chance to play out here and what it feels like to play a tour schedule or to play in some big events. And who knows what's going to happen in the near future With world ranking points, the criteria for entering major championships, the governing body is going to have to figure that out. Some of these players may not ever get a chance to play in major championships. That is a possibility. We don't know that for sure yet. It's all up to the major championship bodies to make that determination. But that is a possibility that some players will never, ever get a chance to play in a major championship, never get a chance to experience this right here, walk down the fairways at Augusta National um or Royal St Andrews, unquote. So I don't know. Tiger concludes. I just don't understand it. I understand what Jack Nicholas and Arnold Palmer did because playing professional golf at a tour level versus a club pro level is different, and I understand that transition and in the move and the recognition of what a touring pro is what a, versus what a club pro is. But what these players are doing for guaranteed money, what is the incentive to practice? What is the incentive to go out there and earn it in the dirt? You're just getting paid a lot of money up front and playing a few events and playing 54 holes. They're playing blaring music and have all these atmospheres that are different. End quote. So, look, Tiger Woods, as I mentioned, his voice carries a lot of weight. And, yeah, and it's easy for him to say, I, I get that. Um. And he concludes, I can understand 54 holes is almost like a mandate when you get to the senior tour. These guys are a little bit older and a little more banged up. But when you're at this young age and some of these kids, they really are kids who have gone from amateur golf into that organization. 72-hole tests are the part of it. We used to have 36-hole playoffs for major championships. That's how it used to be. 18-hole U.S. Open playoffs. I just don't see how that move is positive In the long term, for a lot of these players, especially if the Live organization doesn't get world ranking points and the major championships change their criteria for entering these events, it would be sad to see some of these young kids never get a chance to experience it and experience what we've got a chance to experience and walk these hallowed grounds and play in these championships, unquote. Well, I mean, yeah, Tiger's right. Uh, It's true. But then again, if you get tens of millions of dollars, you can just in the offseason, go golf at St. Andrews with your buddies. <laughs> it wouldn't be the same, obviously. All right, I'm Rick Tittle. Come on back with author Spencer Schneider.
10: Rick Tittle thinks there's a direct correlation between dogs and lightning.
2: I think a lot of weird things. Welcome back to the show. Rick Tittle with you, coast to coast, around the world on American Forces Radio Network. It's our pleasure to welcome to the show author Spencer Schneider. He has a new book available now from Arcade Publishing called Manhattan Cult Story, my unbelievable true story of sex, crimes, chaos, and survival. Spencer, welcome to the show. This cult, uh, as we say, was called School, and it was led by Sharon Gans. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, just a thumbnail on what that all was, please?
1: Yeah, Rick, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. So this was a group, that still exists, that uh, caters to mostly, you know, educated professionals in New York, who want, uh, you know, some kind of intellectual stimulation. And Sharon Gans, you know, uh, uh, said that she was a teacher of ancient knowledge and can help people navigate their lives.
2: So how were you drawn in? What was, the, what was enticing about being in this? Was it just the es- exclusivity of it?
1: Yeah, I mean, that was a big part of it. I was introduced by a guy who, um, you know, I respected. He was also, you know, I'm a lawyer. He was a, a businessman and uh, you know I thought he was a bright guy and he said there's a group that would study philosophy and I found it very helpful and you know you know uh, you know invited me to come.
2: So this secret loft in Tribeca, but it's all just regular kind of yuppie professionals. what was the what was the bottom line? I mean because you was it a Ponzi scheme I mean what what was Sharon Gans after?
1: Yeah, it was a Ponzi scheme. I mean, it was really like a pyramid scheme, I guess, same thing, right? So they were after uh, you know, our monthly dues, our fees that we paid, and uh, which they called tuition. And um, we were, uh, after a year of being involved, um, and you got more dependent and involved in it, they started to ask us to recruit people. And that's when I realized that this may not be uh, the best situation in the world.
2: How much was your tuition?
1: I paid three hundred dollars a year from nineteen eighty nine to uh twenty twelve It's a lot It didn't feel like a lot right' Cause it was a little at a time, but I figured, oh, I'm getting so much, why not just uh pay it it's you know
2: three you uh, said three hundred dollars a year
1: no a month
2: oh three hundred a three hundred a month gotcha um yeah. yeah the the funny thing is is that. Sharon Gans, when you look at uh, Slaughterhouse-Five, which was one of my favorite movies, uh, as a kid, I mean, how how did she, you know, like, build off of all that?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, this was 89 when I met her. I never saw... I was 29. I hadn't seen Slaughterhouse-Five. And there was no internet. So we had no idea who she was. Um... But I, I think, you know, she was an actress, uh, but not that successful. That was kind of the last thing she did. And, um, you know, she wanted an audience, um, and that's what she had. She had a captive audience in this group. That was uh, very important to her.
2: So did it ever get to the point where she wanted you guys to, to bow down, like, or did did she sort of achieve, like, deity status with all of you?
1: Yeah. Yeah, that was it. I mean, that's really the hallmark of a cult, right? I mean, she was very charismatic, and she, uh, you know, she had people believing she was like Buddha, um, and uh, that we had to listen to everything she said, and, um, you know, uh, it's just a process of, of, you know, wanting to believe that.
2: So... What did you get for your $300? Um, were there lavish parties? Was there, like, you know, tickets to Knicks games? Like, what were you getting?
1: <laughs> there were no tickets to Knicks games. <laughs> I wish there was. There was nothing <laughs> nothing good uh, like that. For 300 a month, I mean, could you get tickets for a Knicks game for 300 I guess? I mean, yeah, you could get some good seats. But <laughs> we were basically, you couldn't. We were basically getting, you know, two nights a week of a, of a quote-unquote class that lasted six hours. Lavish parties, we did have some. We had annual Christmas parties, but we had to pay for those. Um, and, uh, you know, we really got, uh, you know, it was a scam. We got nothing for it.
2: Speaking with Spencer Schneider, Manhattan, Cult Story. So when you were recruiting what were did you get a finder's fee did you feel like you were really helping people or did you sort of feel like you were like a bad used car salesman
1: i did i really i i was very bad at recruiting we didn't get a finder's fee but it was kind of like a condition for membership and there was this sort of belief that you know better you uh spiritually whatnot but I thought it was, I I had a lot of problem with it because it was very deceptive. You know, here we are. I'm like thinking, why am I lying to people that like I'm being friends with them when I really just want to let them know about the secret and have them join a group? It's not really, um, you know, like a uh, legitimate way. I never, I never recruited a single person um, through all the years.
2: Did you have a necklace or a ring or a credit card just to people say, ooh, what's that? And then say, well, I belong to school.
1: No, that was the whole thing. It was secretive.
2: Hmm.
1: There was no, we never, you know, people didn't tell their spouses.
2: All right, well, then what was was the chaos? Because it sounds somewhat docile. So what was the sex, drugs, and rock and roll behind all
13: this? Yeah,
1: yeah, it does sound docile. That's why, you know, it's fine for a bit. But then it turns, you know, the chaos, I guess, really has to do with, you know, the mind control. And you lost freedom and sort of giving up your will to this uh, Sharon uh, person who really made people, you know, not believe in themselves and believe in her um, nonsense. The sex was, you know, she believed in arranged marriages and, uh, you know, uh, switched couples and, uh, you know. Uh, suggested to women that they have sex with men that she chose for them, which, you know, is really sex, sex abuse because people weren't really doing it of their free will. Um, you know, uh, private adoptions, uh, there were um, it was forced labor. Um, uh, and, you know, uh, she uh, made over a million dollars a year in cash, Sharon.
2: This was just off dues, off of your tuition?
1: Yeah, 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 She had a real racket.
2: So you stayed. The, um, you stayed there over 20 years. When did you get to the point where you're like, "Nah, I think I'm done here."
1: Well, it was. I hit rock bottom. I mean, I was. It really wasn't until the very end that I was able to get myself out. I was really like having a nervous breakdown from all the pressure and um, the meddling in my life. I, you know, my marriage uh, ended and I was having, uh, difficulties in my business and, uh, she was just making it much worse. And, uh, you know, I left very suddenly in uh, January of 2013.
2: So did you, after being there 23 years, did you rise to the rank of a consigliere? I mean, were there like, sort of like, no,
1: (laughs) no, (laughs) no, thank God. Right. I mean, they did ask me from time to time for legal advice, but the one time they asked me to do something, I thought what they wanted to do was crazy, so I didn't do it.
2: And that was?
1: They had this scam um, uh, to uh, build a, a retreat, um, and they wanted to not pay their property taxes. And they asked me to help them bring a lawsuit, and I told them, forget it, because they explained the whole circumstances, and I thought it was insane.
2: What is like Now that you've written the book, do you sort of feel like you might get a terse email from her, or are you kind of scared that there might be stronger retribution, knock on wood?
1: Nah, I'm not worried about them. I think they're more scared of me than, than me of them, I and mean, they're very secretive. Uh, they have a lot to hide. They actually started out in San Francisco, you know, and the San Francisco Chronicle did an expose on them in the late 70s, and they were so um because i had this crazy theater group there and they were so frightened about the bad press that they shut down their operations and moved out of town and came to new york
2: well i'm here to admit that i was the founding member of the san francisco school and and, uh your dues um i'm gonna be pursuing uh about 10 years and back dues now Um, What is the one thing, though, when you... I mean, did you talk to anybody else, uh, or is this book just completely 100% you?
1: It's all me. I mean, I I think there's pieces of it that I got stories from people here and there, and I needed to check public records here and there, but it's it's my story. But um, I do talk about other people, and mostly the leaders and the things they did.
2: And is this something that you see as a netflix miniseries
1: there's talks about it but there's you know there's nothing set yet but uh, yeah there's there's inter- a lot of interest in it
2: what would you are you going to play it yourself
1: no i you know i don't know i mean i, I don't have anybody <laughs> i I'm like not, you're like I, I, you're I keeping know. the
2: door open when you say i don't know <laughs>
1: I, don't, I really don't know maybe hey you, <clears throat> you know i don't know do you act
9: also
2: I, I guess you can throw it in. So what when you, when you sort of put pen to paper, because, you know, it's your life, and slowly but surely over 23 years things happen, but when you started writing it down, like what was the thing that was maybe most incredulous or shocking to think, wow, I can't believe I actually did this?
1: Yeah, I think the thing that was crazy was the boxing. So for a year, we, the men in the group, about 25 of us, went to Gleason's Gym in downtown Brooklyn, and we met every Friday night, and we sparred. And it was a lot of fun, but we were fighting each other. Like, this was like rough stuff, not always with headgear. And um, they would also match us unevenly, so I was often against people who were very experienced. And, you know, I got my nose broken, I got, you know, a concussion. And they would discourage us from getting medical help because they wanted us to tough it out. But I did learn how to box, which I love, uh, and I occasionally, you know, hit a bag. But um, it's hard to believe I did that.
2: So 300 a month for bare-knuckle boxing, huh?
1: Pretty much, exactly. It was, well, <laughs> exactly. Fight clubs. It was like fight clubs. Yeah, I mean, well, you, you broke
2: know. the rule. You talked about it.
1: Exactly. I got it. You know, I make I, Exactly. And the second
2: rule too. That's exactly right. All right, the name of the book from Arcade Publishing, hard copy, I got one right here, Manhattan Cult Story, My Unbelievable True Story of Sex, Crimes, Chaos, and Survival, from Spencer Schneider. Spencer, thanks for coming on. Congratulations on the book.
1: Thanks. Great to, ha- great to be here, Rick. All Have right. a wonderful
2: day. You too. One, uh, I'm Rick Tittle. We'll come on back on Sports Violent.
16: you'll see an amazing difference in a matter of days. Don't believe us? We'll offer you a money-back guarantee. If you're ready to start losing weight right now, call right now to learn more about your risk-free order to Body Sculpt.
0: Call for your risk-free offer. 800-738-5332, 800-738-5332, 800-738-5332, 800-738-5332, that's 800-738-5332.
10: I wish you would try and slap Rick Tittle's mama's face. He would clown you.
2: All right, uh, we still have an hour to go, but I got to let you know about this absolutely absurd betting scandal that has been uncovered in India. Now, they love cricket down there, but there was a fake channel on the Telegram network, which was on YouTube. They had got nearly pitch-perfect impersonators, and it was a bunch of savvy farmers in the Gujarat region that put together fake cricket matches in the Indian Premier Cricket League. This is according to the Times of India. The players were given scripts to follow, and the whole thing was broadcast on YouTube, as I mentioned. The commentators sounded exactly like the familiar voices, and it looked real enough that people in Russia bet on it. And it said, all it took for the real-life con caper to be executed were 21 farm laborers and unemployed youths from the village who took turns wearing jerseys of the Chennai Super Kings, Mumbai Indians, and Gujarat Titans. They even did umpiring, flaunting a few walkie-talkies in front of five HD cameras. Crowd noise, effects downloaded from the internet made the ambiance appear authentic to audiences in Russia. This is the first time ever, folks, that the Russians got duped. They're always hacking our crap. Yeah. But this already is a movie. This <laughs> this is going to be... I was talking to the guy with Manhattan Cold Story. Oh, no, no. This is a movie. The thing is, though, I actually looked at some of the video, and it looks like somebody's backyard. I can't believe they fell for it, but they did... Hey, Russians, no one's going to feel sorry for you right now. I'm Rick Tittle. Come on back.
13: USA Radio News with Lance Pride,
15: Giving us a better idea how inflation is going, the June Consumer Price Index will be released tomorrow morning. The ever-growing crisis at the southern border reaches new heights. A new Breitbart report showed Texas Border Patrol agents apprehended around 26,000 people in less than a week who crossed into border towns. President Biden will meet with Mexico's President Obrador today at the White House. Some lawmakers in Washington say nothing will be done to stop illegal immigrants or drugs pouring into the country. Republican Texas Governor Greg Abbott.
7: We do have uh, an invasion
8: driven by the cartels. We've turned back tens of thousands of migrants who try to get
15: across the border. Democrat Vice President Kamala Harris.
16: I um, would suggest that so-called leaders focus on solutions instead of attacks.
15: USA Radio News.
8: Finding great candidates to hire can be like, well,
15: was as unique as the breakfast tacos during a speech in San Antonio, Texas yesterday.
16: As distinct as the Bogotá's of the Bronx, as beautiful as the blossoms of Miami, and as unique as the breakfast tacos here in San Antonio, (laughs) is your strength.
15: Making good on pandemic weddings, one location is doing just that. Lincoln Center gave 500 couples a do-over on their wedding Sunday evening. These are couples whose nuptials were derailed
8: or scaled back due to the pandemic. There was a multicultural ceremony as well as music,
15: dancing, and remarks from his honor, Mayor Eric Adams. For USA Radio News, I'm Kenneth Burns in New York. For more information, visit us online at usaradio.com. We are USA Radio News. Suspense. Shadow knows.
18: Mystery in the Air, starring Peter Laurie. I am the whistler, and I know many things, for I walk by night.
4: The greatest radio shows of all time, Classic Radio Theater with Wyatt Cox. On this radio station, or at our webpage, classicradio.stream. That's classicradio.stream. Or search your favorite podcast app.
15: SpaceX is in the middle of preparing its Starship rocket for its inaugural orbital launch, but an explosion of the super-heavy booster during tests at the company's facility in Boca Chica, Texas, yesterday may represent a serious setback. The explosion rocked the entire launch pad. No word yet on the cause of the explosion or whether anyone was hurt. Flames and smoke could be seen around the launch pad an hour after the incident. As the Supreme Court of the United States judges are being threatened by suspected Democrat activists, the Biden administration and the Department of Justice, both being run by Democrats, are silent on the attempted murder and harassment claims. Representative James Comer, Republican from Kentucky, told Newsmax on Monday that Democrats are quietly hoping something would happen so they could get another liberal judge on the nation's highest court.
3: If something happens to us, if we resign or if we passed away in office, we're going to be replaced. I'm going to be replaced by a conservative from Kentucky, and she's going to be replaced by a liberal from New York. But if something happens to a conservative justice, then in, in the minds of someone who'd be attacking that conservative justice, we can replace that conservative justice with a liberal justice since Joe Biden's president and we have Democrat majority in the Senate. So uh, this is something that every American should be concerned about. The safety of our Supreme Court, and I don't think the Biden administration is taking it seriously, and I don't think the, the leadership in Congress and either party is taking it seriously, and hopefully that will change.
15: Lance Pry, USA Radio News.
5: Do you have Medicare and do you use a CPAP machine? This is a national health care alert regarding your CPAP supplies. Using a clean CPAP mask and clean supplies is important to staying healthy.
4: I hate that guy. I love that guy. Oh my gosh, he's so fine. Rick Tittle brings home the bacon, fries it up in a pan, and then he eats it. Ricky T in the hizzle for shizzle, biznatch.
2: All right, thank you for that. Welcome back to our three-hour hour. hour. We're going to have Brad Powers and Kevin James Thornton on this show. You know, athletes will use social media to drop hints. You might remember Kyler Murray of the Cardinals deleted all his Arizona bio pictures and such things from Instagram when his negotiations Hit a snag. Brooks Kepka pulled PGA Tour out of his bio just before he jumped to live golf. You know, Draymond Green creating his own version of a post-game news conference when he started podcasting his thoughts after every Warriors game. Kevin Durant has spent the last few years sparring with Twitter trolls all over. But I bring it up because Lamar Jackson, <coughs> Mr. Heisman, and NFL MVP... He is in the midst of negotiations for a long term extension, the kind that fellow quarterbacks from his draft class, like Josh Allen, has signed and Baker Mayfield have not. But he changed his avatar to a grill or somebody's front teeth that has embedded in his forefront teeth the words I need and then the dollar sign. I need money. Now, you could say there's nothing subliminal about I need money, but gone are the old media days where newspaper beat reporters would ride the train to St. Louis and go from stop to stop and get the inside skinny. The new media revolution is this is the way it goes. I mean, you could have a, a cryptic social media bio or a TikTok soliloquy here or there. It all adds up to hint of what's happening behind closed doors. And maybe Jackson will say, I'm just goofing around. But um, he needs money. I need money. It's some gold Tifus too. It's actually, it's not that good a handiwork, I have to say. Not that I'm from the dental field. (laughs) 1-800-878-PLAY is the number to call. 1-800-878-7529. The Twitter is that Rick Tittle we had another hour together I'm gonna head back into my studio so come on back
3: this your captain speaking you better buckle your seatbelts belts for this one I noticed my passport was due to expire so I went to Staples I got a passport photo in 10 minutes so we're good to go
4: now at Staples, get 20% off travel products when you purchase a passport photo. Get travel ready at Staples, your one-stop travel prep destination.
3: Hey, let me tell you about another time that Staples saved my caboose. That all started back. And
4: 731 in-store only, excludes Instacart orders, certain products, services, and technology. See staplesconnect.com services slash travel for details.
0: Wendy's new Strawberry Frosty is here, so check your watch. Is it frosty time yet? It probably is. The hour hand would be on, I'm feeling snacky. And the minute hand would be on, relaxing with a rich, creamy strawberry frosty on a summer day just digging into that smooth, chilly deliciousness and vibing. You know, depending on what kind of watch you have. When it's time for frosty time, choose wisely. Choose Wendy's Frosty and Classic Chocolate or new strawberry. Limited time only at participating U.S.
18: Wendy's. Right now, sports betting is the fastest growing industry in the world. To consistently cash tickets at the sports books, it's best to be armed with the right plays from the best sports bettors in the business. That's what you'll get at AgainstTheNumber.com. At AgainstTheNumber.com, you'll get specialists with decades of experience betting multiple sports at a high level and many sports-specific packages from the NFL to college basketball to cricket to soccer to the European Tour, that gives you a consistent edge on the sports book. For a highly skilled, reasonably priced team of premium sports handicappers focused on one thing and one thing only beating the books at their own game. Visit againstthenumber.com. That's againstthenumber.com.
2: Thank you for that. Welcome back to the show. Rick Tittle with you coast to coast around the world on American Forces Radio Network. It's 11:12 out here in California. That means it's time to check in with one of the betting analysts at AgainstTheNumber.com, which is a highly skilled team of premium sports handicappers focused on one thing and one thing only. That's beating the sports books at their own game. They cover every sport worldwide, from the NFL to college basketball to soccer to cricket to tennis to European hockey, and all of them are proven winners yeah, for full season, end of current season, one month, one week, one day, and one year specialist specific packages. Their prices are reasonable. Their tracking and distribution process is simple, and their results are real. Joining us once again is our friend Brad Powers, who talks NCAA football with us. Brad, I'm just thinking about the uh, poor Pac-12 as the L.A. schools are leaving. Now, do they pick up <laughs> Fresno State and San Diego State, or do they form an alliance with – the ACC and the Big Twelve. What's going to happen?
22: Yeah, I mean, I I don't know for certain. Here's what I do know is whatever they do, whether it's a, a combination of you know all of the above, it's still not going to come anywhere near as close to what the Big Ten and SEC are doing as far as you know money, a revenue generating aspect is what those schools and those two conferences. Uh, are going to be getting on a yearly basis upwards of $100 million per school, per year, uh, whatever the Pac-12 does, that doesn't, uh, isn't going to come close to that. And, look, I mean, you can cry foul, uh, you know, everybody remaining in the Pac-10 all they want. Uh, pretty much Pac-12 has nobody to blame but themselves, USC included. Uh, I mean, th- th- this was a conference that, you know, for the last 10, 15 years kind of devalued football. Uh, they just couldn't get their act together had poor leadership from the top down, starting with Larry Scott, uh, and just fell way behind. And when I tell people, because I'm, I'm from, originally from Ohio, people say they care about football out here, and now I'm in Vegas. You don't care about football on a day-in and day-out basis like they do in the SEC and in parts of the Midwest.
2: What do you think about Oregon and Washington? Are they panicked and need to get out, or do you think they're thinking, hey, we can take over this conference for real now?
22: Well, I think if you'd ask them deep down, I'm, I'm sure that they would prefer to get invited to the Big Ten and join USC and UCLA. Uh, are they going to get that invite? Uh, it, it's not happening today or tomorrow, I'll put it that way. Uh, Maybe down the road in a couple of years. I mean, obviously we're waiting for the, the big shoe to drop and be Notre Dame, and then I think we'll get more realignment. Uh, from the time being, though, uh, after USC and UCLA leave, uh, particularly the football side, Sure, why not? I mean, I I like the hire uh, that that both teams have made uh, coming into this season. And obviously, Oregon uh, has Nike money behind them, so I like their... I mean, if you're stack ranking the pecking order of that conference, Oregon's one, uh, Washington, Utah uh, would be fighting for that two slot.
2: Yeah, there's no doubt that Notre Dame would get a pretty penny by joining uh, a conference, but they love their independence. And I remember years ago when they came out here to play Stanford, they brought not one but two bookstores. They took over two buildings, and there was a line around the block. I mean, there's just nothing like that independence. But then again, money talks. Do you see Notre Dame holding on to that independent status?
22: Yeah. You know, for the first time uh, ever, I, I have my doubts. Uh, I mean, here's what I do know. There are NBC contracts uh, up here in a couple of years. You know, will CBS lose the SEC? Uh, And, you know, obviously Fox is a big-time player in the game now. Uh, NBC was actually lurking around trying to get, you know, stepping foot with the Big Ten. I do know the $15 million per year that they've been making reportedly off the NBC deal last decade that's not going to fly moving forward. It'll be interesting. They'll have enough where That price will get drived up enough. But I'll say this. Is it still going to come close to what they could possibly make in the Big Ten? No. So, And they got to ask themselves, uh, you know, does it come down to money? Because you can't run a $50 million a year deficit on an annual basis to Purdue and in Indiana. Sooner or later, it's going to catch up to you.
2: Wow, that's no, true. A couple more questions here for Brad Powers from againstthenumber.com. I look at coaching hot seats, and I know some Husker fans, and it's amazing. You know, of course, Nebraska jumped to the Big Ten, but Scott Frost, the former Stanford and Nebraska player himself, he's come back. His winning percentage is three forty-one. It's just abysmal. They they haven't been that bad since the fifties. They were three and nine. Last year, they had an embarrassing investigation that resulted in some minor penalties. He fired four assistant coaches. Why is, <laughs> I'm not calling for his job, but why is Scott Frost still the head coach at Nebraska?
22: I guess loyalty. I mean, a favored son. Uh, he probably gave him the benefit of the doubt. They, they were close. Uh, I mean, but keep in mind, they went 3-9 and nine a year ago, and they still, on the season, outscored their opponents. Outgained their opponents on the season. I mean, you can make a case that they were one of the best, if not the best, three and nine in three and nine team in history. <laughs> now, that's kind of cheek there. Mm. Uh, I mean, the problem is, uh, look, they've lost a lot of close games, not just last year, but its entire tenure. They're five and 21 in games decided by one possession. Uh, and sooner or later, you can cry bad luck, bad luck, ball bounce, you know, didn't bounce our way, or it's just bad coaching. And I, I'm leaning more towards bad coaching. I can tell you this in Vegas. Uh, we're very not me personally but the market is pretty high on nebraska the to a seven and a half so wow. uh, if he doesn't at least get to a bowl game this year uh and obviously he's out the door
2: fascinating um we know that arch manning who still has to play his senior year in high school is going to be a longhorn which i think is a Great choice for him. Austin is such an upcoming city, and and Texas hasn't mattered for a long time. And instead of just going to a place like Alabama, where he would be great, he has a chance now to really put his mark on a sleeping giant like uh, Texas. And my question is, the recruiting dominoes that will fall, I mean, this is a wake of like dropping an anvil into a swimming pool. I mean, everybody's going to want to be a part of the Arch-Manning era now at Texas, right?
7: Certainly,
22: we've already seen it. You know that shoe start to to drop a little bit. I mean, the, the, they've got a top five class they're working on right now already, uh, and there was three, four, you know, highly rated guys that right after Arch declared for his commitment to Texas, that, that announced. So certainly, I mean, obviously, a uh, school in, in that state, Texas a m is coming off one of the best, if not the best, recruiting class we've seen in college football. So I'll say this: I think it's good. I mean, I. I'm tired of seeing Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio State in the top three recruiting classes year after year. So certainly it'll have a positive impact. I will say this: when you're looking to obviously, Arch can't help them this season. Uh, they got a quarterback this season that's going to make some waves. I think Quinn Ewers is his name, and he was the number one quarterback and prospect coming out of high school a couple of years ago.
2: Last question for you: um, We're going to be having media days coming up, and heading to Atlanta here next week for the SEC, and there'll be about three or four coaches uh, every day. With these media days, I mean, we, we, it's usually some, you know, the seniors and juniors will talk to those guys as well outside of the coaches, but what I look for is, you know, Lane Kiffin saying something dumb or, you know, Steve Sarkisian showing up drunk, no offense to him, but, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of looking for controversy. Well, What do you look for in media days?
22: So, I'll put it this way. I only take one vacation a year. Uh, Next week, uh, when these media days start, uh, I take my vacation. They are not (laughs) a factor in the betting markets. If anything, sometimes, honestly, sometimes, you know, I take that back a little bit. I think people overreact sometimes. So, what I'll do is when I come back from vacation, if there's a storyline or two coming out of SEC media days or one of the other big conferences that I don't agree with that shouldn't move the needle, and maybe they did a little bit, then, then I'll fade it. But, as far as anything positive coming out of those, nothing. I I, th- I think it's a waste of time if you're Really, a, a key better.
2: Brad Powers against the number. dot com. Brad, great stuff as always, man. Appreciate it. I appreciate you. Take care. All right, I'm Rick Tittle. Come on back on Sports byline, USA, USA. Oh yeah, Ooh. the big
14: stuff.
0: That's 800-760-1845. Life insurance is one of those things that just about everybody needs, but few
5: people actually have. Hey, if you die unexpectedly without life insurance, guess what? You'll leave your family with even a bigger mess.
0: pricing information 800-915-9654 800-915-9654 800-915-9654 that's 800-915-9654 do you love driving but you don't love your car payment open road lending can reduce your car payment by as much as a hundred dollars a month or more It's easy to refinance your car payment. Just call today to get your no-obligation quote and find out how much you can save. To qualify for a lower car payment, your car should be less than 10 years old, have less than 125,000 miles, and you've made at least six on-time payments. That's 800-871-9417. Terms and conditions apply. Financing is available with approved credit. See openroadlending.com for details. Uh, What kind of music do you usually have here?
10: Oh, we got both kinds. We got country and western. Mm. Tittle ate 200 chicken wings at your mama's house last night. Now, back to Fat Boy.
2: That hurts my feelings. Welcome back to the show. Rick Tittle with you, coast to coast and around the world on the American Forces Radio Network. It's our pleasure to welcome to the show the highly talented stand-up comedian Kevin James Thornton who will be at Helium Buffalo on Thursday. Get your tickets at heliumcomedy.com. Kevin, welcome to the show and saying comedian doesn't really encapsulate uh, all your talent, uh, does it?
6: Well, I guess that depends on who you are. I, <laughs> I've done a lot of things over the years, for sure.
2: Talk about what you've been able to do at TikTok, which I um, admire, because when you have gray in your beard and you're still kicking butt on TikTok, that's something, right?
6: Yeah, man, it's a, it's like a middle-age, unexpected surprise. I didn't see it coming. I mean, i've I, I've been on the road for my entire life and did okay and honestly in the last few years i had sort of started retiring and i opened a photography studio and i was like well this is my life now and then i started making tiktok videos and it seemed like instantly everything changed and now i'm back out on the road like in a way different way it's been like an unexpected later in life dream come true
2: would you say you're a musician who does comedy or a comedian who does music?
6: You know, if you had asked me that question, you know, 15 years ago, I would have said music. But music has kind of faded out of my life. You know, that was like the younger version of myself. Um, my, my life is in the last decade or so has been all comedy.
2: So, what? When was it for you as a performer? I mean, obviously, you got to have a little ham in you to get up there and perform, but. When was it, and you thought, you know what, I'm I'm a talented musician, but um, I'm pretty damn funny, too. Maybe I should concentrate on that.
6: It, it was when, so I had a record deal here in Nashville maybe like 15 years ago, and it fell apart like disastrous behind the music style, and I just needed to do something totally different, so I started going to open mics here in Nashville, and pretty immediately, like, the first time I got a laugh, I was like, oh, that felt pretty cool. <laughs> you know, it, it kind of ignited something in me. So it was at Open Mics in Nashville, like, maybe 15, 16 years ago.
2: And your photography, almost like, I can say, mapplethorpe the examination of yeah. the human body.
6: <laughs> yeah, for sure. Thanks for thanks for uh, noticing that. Maplethorpe is my obviously my biggest influence. I'm so inspired by... That I actually even bought the same camera that Robert maplethorpe used hmm. so so maybe it's all in the camera I don't know
2: <laughs> I remember when my brother moved into an apartment in Noe Valley, just like a block from the Castro, and the entire place was Maplethorpe pictures and uh he's like, yeah, whatever
6: <laughs> <laughs> i so when I was maybe in like seventh or eighth grade, I discovered the Robert Maplethorpe book at Barnes and Noble, mm. which in a s- small town in Indiana seems like how is that even possible that that was on the shelf? <laughs> 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 but yeah, that that I was like you know seventh grade Barnes and Noble hiding in the corner with the Robert Maplethorpe book.
2: Now your films. Uh, as well, and a lot of these are on Deku, D-E-K-K-O-O. Tell us about some of the films that you have made.
6: Yeah, man, like, you did a deep dive.
2: <laughs> i got to be ready, buddy.
6: I, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, man, so like, like I said, I had been uh, on the road for many years with comedy and like storytelling festivals, and I was really burned out. This is like my late 30s, and I'm almost 50 now. And so I really turned my focus toward photography and filmmaking. And honestly, filmmaking is like a frontier that I am not done with. But I'd started making some films. Uh, You know, I'd really just started getting my feet wet. I was lucky enough that, like you said, the company, uh, it's a smaller company that does online streaming, they bought my first couple of movies. Um, I love filmmaking. I'm definitely not done with it. But right now, you know, Uh, stand-up comedy touring has become my full-time job, but I definitely am not done with filmmaking. It's an art form that I probably love the most.
2: A couple more questions for Kevin James Thornton at Helium Buffalo on Thursday. The brand of music, queer country, that you do, to me, of course, it must be very challenging when I think about how super macho, all-American, Floyd R. Turbo, that country music can be. So, have you had any backlash or is it better than I... Maybe think it is a, for you out there.
6: Well, you know, and again, that project is a few years old. That's kind of gone, moved to the to the back burner in my life. At the time when I was doing it, I would say there wasn't a whole lot of other people. The the landscape has shifted quite a bit now. I mean, there's in country music, there's a new emerging scene that is not sort of the macho stereotype that you that you're talking about. There there are other people like Chris Hausman, mm-hmm. uh, you know. Uh, Casey Musgraves, you know, a superstar version of of people who are advocating for people that are, you know, against the country grain for sure.
2: Mm-hmm. What about merch? I mean, you know, it was the '90s and Chamla Hamala. What? What? <laughs> yeah. How is the merch moving for you? It
3: at- <laughs> oh,
6: good man. I, uh, I mean, yeah, last year is the most money I've ever made in my life. <laughs> I I didn't mean to have catchphrases like like the whole TikTok phenomenon was such a weird accident, um, you know, and my, you know, people latched on to a couple of the things I was saying and sort of turned them into catchphrases, mm-hmm. I didn't mean for that to happen, but um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, the, the merch is good, I'm actually putting out a fragrance called Shamala Hamala, just in time for Christmas.
2: <laughs> and this was before our vice president, right? Yeah.
6: <laughs> You yes.
2: get her to endorse it. This is Kamala for I Shama Hamala. She
6: should be in the commercial.
2: Yeah. <laughs> well, it's the funny thing too. It's like you're like, well, I'm gonna do merch and I'm gonna do a pillow. No, no, not two pillows. I'm gonna do three different pillows. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> because two is just like not enough, right? <laughs>
6: exactly. Lots of lots of home decor options.
2: So now you're new, as you said, it's all been kind of changing for you. What are you getting now from this new core of fans that you have?
6: You know, it's earlier in my life when I was in the clubs, broke, you know, tired. There were many artistically satisfying moments, but getting to return to the stage with like a really supportive audience, I'm headlining clubs that I could have never gotten into ten years ago and they're full with like people who are already fans of mine. It's the weirdest dream come true. I'm having the time of my life.
2: Yeah, the Helium some of the great chain of clubs in the country, no doubt. What is the the picture of you as uh the heavy metal Kevin, is that actually you?
6: Oh that's me. That's my senior picture. <laughs>
2: That's a pretty kick-ass senior picture, i got to say. Oh,
7: thanks. Yeah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So I would think back then you were aspiring to be like in Def Leppard, maybe?
6: Well, you know, I I grew up in a very fundamentalist Christian church, but they were really big on Christian rock band ministry. Mm. So in my senior year of high school, I did want to be a rock star, but I wanted to be a Christian rock star.
2: Now, what's it like coming out in the Midwest with fundamental Christian family there?
6: It is just a a pure delight. (laughs) No, those years were, I mean, a lot of my material on TikTok talks about that time period of my life because it's so absurd. Um, But at the time, it was super painful. It was very difficult. Um, You know, but that, that was 30 years ago, and I guess time heals all wounds, as they say.
2: Yeah. So for you, did you, like, you just knew when you were very young, or did, were you like
6: a lot of kids? They were just confused. Uh, I went to a drag queen story hour, and it turned me gay. You know? <laughs> um, I, <laughs> I, I, no, yeah. I, I mean, even when I was super young, I didn't know the words, or I didn't even know what that meant, but I, I sensed something was different about myself. And that as mm. I got older, it became clearer you know mm. there's more that sort of progression
2: so now people are going to come see you um are you walking out on stage with a guitar or not
6: no you may have seen an older promotion video where i did i did my old act did have songs in it but now it's just it's just pure stand up there's no guitar anymore and
2: then um finally during the pandemic did you learn a new language or a new instrument or did you just eat donuts
6: <laughs> i uh I got into that bread-making, weird bread-making thing that a lot of people did. I made my own sourdough starter, and uh, I got really good at making loaves of bread, um, and then I stopped doing that.
2: Well, at least it's productive. Yeah. By the way, what is the key to the sourdough like we have out here in San Francisco? What, what uh, What is the little germ or enzyme you use?
6: i had a very hard time getting it to come to life and i just sort of instinctively threw i had some frozen blueberries in my refrigerator i threw those in there and then it came to life <laughs>
2: there he is blueberry sourdough yeah. another creation from kevin james thornton <laughs> helium buffalo on thursday you get your tickets at uh, helium com. at least you're going to buffalo when it's warm huh
6: I guess so. This will be my first time in Buffalo. I'm also in Philadelphia on Saturday.
2: Oh, yeah. That is the main helium. That's a great club. Hey, congratulations. If you're ever in San Francisco, come on by the studio, man. I will. All right. There he is. Thank you very much, Kevin James Thornton. And uh, we will take a quick break. And uh, we got some open lines. I saw something on your chest in the world of sports. 1-800-878-PLAY. Come on back.
7: Who's watching
11: to me.
10: I
2: don't beat my servants. Welcome back to the show. 1-800-878-PLAY. That sounded weird. Play. You can talk to me and I'll sound like this. And then everybody will turn me off. 1-800-878-PLAY. 1-800-878-PLAY. We know who's going to be in the uh, Home Run Derby. Um, It is going to be a star studded event. Coming up in six days at Dodger Stadium, and here is the field. Pete Alonzo with the Mets, who has won it before. Juan Soto, you might remember, hit a 530-foot home run last year. Ronald Acuna Jr., Kyle Schwarber, Tittlevet, and Albert Pujols. He had diarrhea so bad, now he has two poo holes. So, uh, Alonzo, so far this year, 23 home runs. He won the Derby in 2019 at Progressive Field in Cleveland, and then he won it again last year at Coors Field. No All-Star game in 2020, so he's back-to-back. And the only player to win the home run Derby three times in a row um, is, uh, uh, well... No one has won it three times in a row. Ken Griffey Jr. has won it three times, but nobody has won it three years in a row. The only players to win it two years in a row were Alonzo Griffey and Oakland's joannis Cespedes. That's right, baby. Jason Richardson will win the slam dunk, and Ioannis Cespedes will hit win the home run derby. But that's all the damage we're going to do. Uh, Soto is 17 home runs. Last year, he was the runner-up to Alonzo. He hit 46 home runs. Remember Bobby Abreu? I can't hit any more home runs. I ran out. Or Josh Hamilton. I'm too weak now. Acuna, um, you know, of course, he had those uh, terrible injuries last year, the torn ACL, and that happened um, right after the All-Star game last year. He has just eight home runs this year. And uh, Schwarber, uh, the NL home run leader with uh, 28, and uh, last season he hit 32. The year before that he hit 38. He has 181 home runs career. This will be Schwarber's second time in the Dolby. Remember, he was the run-up to Bryce Harper four years ago, now his teammate in Philly and um, then Pujols, who was named to the All-Star Game by Major League Baseball Commissioner Ron Manfred, and he's expected to retire at the end of the season. This is an honor- honorary nod to him. He has five home runs on the year, hitting 215. This will be his fifth Doby. He did it in 03, 07, 09, and 2015, didn't win any of them. But it is unknown if Miguel Cabrera received an invitation Uh, as well and MLB will need three more contestants anyway to fill out the bracket it was suggested that John Carlos Stanton said he would do it I just remember when Matt Chapman said I'll do it and I was like no so Matt Olson did it for the A's last year, it was a little more respectable but I'm like don't, don't, come on you're a, first of all you can't hit and second of all (laughs) You are a, a a gap hitter. It's just uh, it's just not your fort, uh, so to say. One eight hundred eight seven eight play. You know, as we were talking yesterday about Novak Djokovic won't be able to participate in the U.S. Open because of his unvax status. Well, think about this: as <clears throat> Dave Dombrowski, the president of the Phillies, uh, told reporters that four players were not allowed from the Phillies to play against the Blue Jays. Aaron Nola, J.T. Realmuto, Kyle Gibson, and Alec Bohm. These are not scrubs. A couple of those are very important players, and that's because they are not vaccinated. And the Canadian government does not allow anyone unvaccinated except in rare, special circumstances. So the Phillies, by putting them those four guys on the COVID list, they actually get to call up four players that uh, don't have to be in the regular transactional um, process. But here's the thing I don't like about, um, you know, some people will get a medical exception. Like if you're celiac, in other words, you can't have gluten. You can get out of having um, uh, vaccinations and there are other things as well about allergies and such things. But, <clears throat> the thing i don't like is the religious exception like if you're a christ scientist or some other religion that doesn't believe in medicine then you get a religious exception because we have freedom of religion but is if novak djokovic well he's not american let's stick with american kyle schwarber is an american let's say he says i'm now christ scientist they would say that's a bunch of bull no you're not when did you go to church Show me uh, that you, I mean, but isn't that freedom of religion part, of, part and parcel of who we are as a country? Why can't you say, I've joined? Now, it's, of course, a technicality and a scam, but who's to say you can't pick your religion? Who's to say that you can't be a one religion one day and, and one the other, right? We have people that are um, gender fluid. And they're respected. In other words, today I'm this, and tomorrow I'm that. Why can't you do that with religion? I'm just, I'm not trying to be a pain in the butt. I'm just saying, technically, why can't Kyle Schwarber just say, I'm Christ scientist now, and I don't believe in medicine? And, of course, they would say, that's a load of crap. You're just trying to get out of the vax. And that's exactly what he's doing. But who are you? any other American to say what religion you are or you want. What if you just found your vision? You had an epiphany, the real meaning of epiphany, not epiphany like, I'm going to stop eating tacos so much. What if you got the calling and then you get to Canada and you're like, nah, I don't think I'm a Christ scientist after all. So there's something weird that people can judge what religion you really are. Isn't that intrinsically weird? Isn't that just in black and white on paper, anti-American as it can possibly get? You know, like if I if they said, well, Tittle prove you're a Catholic. Um, I went to church my whole life until the Raiders moved back, and then I stopped going on Sundays because the Raiders were back. So I went to church my whole life until the 90s. I got baptized, I got confirmed, I went to a Catholic high school, I went to a Catholic college. Hmm, okay. All right, you're approved. Oh, thank you. Yeah, we checked it out. It seems like you actually are Catholic, I guess. It had nothing to do with how I live my life, what my moral compass is, whether I'm, you know, intrinsically, religiously bankrupt. A heretic. Mm, I guess you're Catholic. Okay. Or like, if you're Italian or Mexican or Irish or Filipino, are you Catholic? Yeah. Oh, you're Filipino. Okay, you're Catholic. Like, how? How is that something that's acceptable? Right. What if I want to be Christ scientist? I have every right as an American to switch my religion. I could. I could be religiously fluid. <laughs> Tomorrow I'm going to be a member of Islam, and then I'm going to be Jewish. And you know what? You can't stop me, because this is America. But they can stop you at the U.S. Open and at the Canadian border. All right, let's just keep it the U.S. Open then, because Canada is also a foreign country, believe it or not. And (laughs) I don't know. I just think it's – I think it gets dangerous when people can – Actually, say you're a real this. Are you really a Methodist? Hmm, I don't know. You seem a little more Presbyterian. Didn't you go to a non denominational church? You know, those are so huge, especially in all white communities. Like if you start going out into the Sticks or even in like the Sierra Foothills and El Dorado County, Sacramento County, full, you know, all those places up there, Amador County. There's these huge non-denominational churches that are just, quote-unquote, Christian. And there's nothing wrong with that. But it's a, well, what kind of Christian are you? Are you a, I don't know. I know I'm beating this like a dead horse, but still. So those four players will not be allowed to go to Toronto. Now, the good news is, is that Nola and Gibson would not have been able to start anyway on full rest, but Real Muto is one of the best catchers in baseball, and Bohm is the starting third baseman. The Phillies right now are also without Bryce Harper and Gene Segura, and uh, that ain't good. But Rob Thompson, who replaced Joe Girardi in early June, has them at 13 games over 500, 24 24-11. They're back in playoff contention. They're third in the final wild-card position in the NL, but only one game ahead of St. Louis. The Blue Jays are in a similar position. You know, they're tied for the final AL wild-card spot, and those Baltimore Orioles are just two games behind, hot on their heels. I wonder if John Doerr tweeted out that the Orioles (laughs) have taken over his Blue Jays uh, just yet. But... That's the thing. These, these guys and, and gals, you, you make a choice, and it might interfere with your job, and it might not. You know, you look at Andrew Wiggins. Do you want to participate in this or not and lose half your money? And I almost felt kind of sorry for him that he gave in. I don't think he feels bad for himself now. And then you look at Kyrie Irving. He's like, no, I'm not going to do it, and all the money he left on the table. And so you're letting your team down that's a hard thing to. That's a hard thing to overcome. When they say, you know, you're one of our best players and you're letting us down, but uh, I respect it. You don't. If you don't want it, then you don't have to have it. It's your choice. What happened to my body, my choice with vaxes? It doesn't work with vaxes. Have you noticed that? My body, my choice, does not work with vaxes. People will will stare at you and scream at you and call you a complete idiot. By the way, I am vaxed, but still, I just don't think it's fair to make somebody do something they don't want to do. You know why? Because I'm an American. I got an F-150 and it says real big in the back and stars and stripes, one word, it says
7: freedom.
19: It's actually an optical illusion. It's the pattern on the pants. It's not fla- flattering in the the crotchal region. I'm actually taking them back right now. Taking them back to the the pants store.
10: Tittle is a majestic stallion.
2: All right. Uh, thanks for that. And uh, we've got a couple of minutes left in the show. Something I call the Billy Bean or the anti-Billy Bean rule is trading draft picks. Because if you could trade draft picks in MLB, he would trade all the first-round picks. So he would never have to pay anybody. But you can now trade certain picks – and a trade went down between the Braves and the Royals. The Braves sent three prospects, center fielder Drew Waters, right-handed pitcher Andrew Hoffman, and infielder CJ Alexander to Kansas City in exchange for the number 5, number 35 overall pick in the draft coming up. As well, the Braves added to their draft budget the $2.2021 million figure slot that is at the 35th pick. But unlike almost every other pick in the MLB draft, this one was able to be traded because it's one of the two competitive balance rounds picks, which is between the first and second round, what we used to call sandwich picks. You can also get them after the second and the third. So the picks of those competitive balance round picks are distributed to small market and low revenue teams sometimes, and they can be traded, although only one time. Outside of those 15 total competitive balance selections, none of them can be traded. So as for those prospects, Waters is 23 years old. He was a consensus top 100 prospect at one point who struggled and uh, he's blocked in Atlanta by the rookie Michael Harris. <clears throat> Hoffman, 22 years old, the former 12th rounder who has pitched to a 2 ERA for high A Rome. And Alexander is 26 years old. He's a bat-first corner defender, 15 home runs uh, at uh, AA Mississippi. But um, if you're the Royals, you get three guys. For somebody, you could have got 35. And 35 is basically a first-round pick. I mean, Matt Olson was a uh, sandwich pick in there. The A's got that for losing a uh, a free agent. But, uh, yeah, you can trade them.
7: Billy Bean.
2: Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you tomorrow at 9 a.m. Pack Time.